I'm Kara Powell, and it's an honor to be with you today, Peachtree Church. On my dad's side of the family, the Ekman side of the family, I'm the oldest of 15 cousins. My dad has two brothers and two sisters, all of whom have gotten married. And so when we would get together at Grandma and Grandpa Ekman's house for a family holiday or tradition, it was far too many people to put at one table. So Grandma and Grandpa, they came up with a very clever solution. They created the adults table and the kids table. Yes, I see you've eaten at Grandma and Grandpa Ekman's house also. The adults table and the kids table. I'm showing you a picture now of the Ekman kids table several decades ago. It's my brother and three of my cousins. Now we're eating in a room that Grandma and Grandpa used to call the TV room. They named a room after the television. We are eating in the TV room. If you were to go down the hall and around the corner to the dining room, that's where the adults table was. The adults table was a nice wooden table. As you can see, we're eating on a card table. The adults table had nice china. We normally ate on paper plates. This particular meal we're eating on plastic plates. And if you zoom in, you can see what my relatives did, what grandma and grandpa did. They put this lock on the door as if no matter what, don't let the kids out of the kids table. Now, why are we talking about the kids' table when it comes to what it's like to be a church? Well, sadly, this adults' table, kids' table mentality is what we're experiencing in our churches today, too. We have our adult worship and our children and students' worship, our adult small groups and our children and students' small groups, our adult pastors and our children and student pastors. There's definitely a time and a place for seven and 17 and 57 and 77 year olds to talk on their own about various life stage issues. I love that myself. But one of my life mantras is that balance is something we swing through on our way to the other extreme. And I'm afraid that's what happens in too many of our churches. In our well-intentioned efforts to offer relevant and meaningful ministry with young people, we've ended up separating them. We've siloized them. And not only is it hurting young people, it's also hurting all generations because of how we can learn from each other. We see the power of all generations coming together in Jesus' own life. If you'll go with me to Luke 2, verses 41 through 47, this is the only account of Jesus as a teenager. And I think we learned some interesting things about how we can be a community together now ourselves. Let's start with verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. You see, 12-year-old boys at the time would go to a number of Jewish festivals, but especially Passover. That was the most important one for Jewish boys and their parents to go to according to the custom. Let's keep reading. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. I've read this story many times in my life, but it's only recently that I've begun to wonder this question. What kind of parents were Mary and Joseph? How could they go for a full day and not realize their 12-year-old boy was missing? 
Well, then I came to understand how people traveled in the first century. And typically, men would travel together, and maybe 50 yards apart, women would travel together, and the children would run back and forth. So probably at the end of the day, Joseph looked at Mary and said, Mary, you don't have Jesus? And, and Mary looked at Joseph and said, wait, you don't have Jesus? And they realized, oh my goodness, we left Jesus behind. Let's keep reading to find out what they do next. When they did not find him, they went back to, to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts. Okay, so now it's not just one day that Joseph has been missing. We're looking at three days that these parents have been separated from their son. Now, I have three children. They're 19, 17, and 14 years old. Whether or not you're a parent, step-parent, grandparent, guardian, if you've been around a young person, if you've built a relationship with a young person, some particular questions might come to mind. Who made sure Jesus during these three days was comfortable? Who made sure he had his needs met? Who got him something to drink? And again, I've raised a teenage boy, so let me just say one of the questions I would ask is, who fed this boy? Who fed Jesus? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but I think we can make an educated stab and say it was the community that came around 12-year-old Jesus. It was the community that saw that Jesus was on his own, no adult support, and they wrapped around him. And we know that because of what we read as we continue. Jesus was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus astounded the adults who were with them. Now, of course, this was Jesus. He's probably pretty astounding in what he asks and says. But I can think of so many times that a young person has asked me a question or said something to me that has changed me. And maybe you can do the same today. There's something about being around different generations that changes us. We see that in Jesus' life. And we also see that in our research at the Fuller Youth Institute. I'm a faculty member at Fuller Seminary and get to work with them, this amazing team at the Fuller Youth Institute where we study the long-term faith of young people. The best research shows, the best research shows that about 40 to 50% of youth group graduates from great churches like Peachtree and great families like yours, about 40 to 50% of youth group graduates drift from God and the church after they graduate. So I want you to imagine a picture in your mind of the young people that you know, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church, and put a red X through 50% of their faces. That many young people drift from God and the church after they graduate. Now as a mom and a leader and a follower of Jesus, I'm not satisfied with that. I bet you aren't also. So we at the Fuller Youth Institute spent a number of years studying 500 youth group graduates through their first three years of college. I used to say 500 youth group graduates through junior year of college, but first three year, junior year, not always the same thing for today's students. We followed these 500 youth group graduates, like kids from Peachtree, through their first three years of college. And we unearthed what we as families and as churches and as an entire community can do to build a faith that lasts, or what we call sticky faith. 
we've studied over 13 different youth group variables, 13 things that youth groups like at Peachtree tend to do in the context of, of normal life and ministry. And you'll be glad to know that studying scripture was correlated with mature faith in high school and college. Being involved in service and justice was correlated with mature faith in high school and college. So much of what you already do is correlated with mature faith in high school and college. But of everything that we looked at, of all 13 variables, the one that was most correlated with mature faith in high school and college was intergenerational relationships and worship. Yes, not separating children into a kid's table, but bringing everybody together around the same table. Now, in addition to our Sticky Faith research, which we did some years ago, we also followed up with a study that we call Growing Young. The typical church in the U.S. is aging or shrinking. So we study 250 churches that aren't aging or shrinking, but they're growing young. They're doing amazing work with young people. And by studying those churches, we were able to identify six core commitments, six commitments that these churches manifest that sets them apart from other churches. One of them was the way that they built relationships with each other what we tended to call warm relationships. In fact, one senior pastor during the course of our research is he said, when it comes to young people, warm is the new cool. When it comes to young people, warm is the new cool. Now everybody, especially younger folks, wanna be cool. The question that I wanna ask with you here at Peachtree is how can you be a warm church? And I actually got to spend some time in this last month talking to multiple of your pastors, hearing their heart for how you, with them, all of you together can be a warm church. How you can bring everybody together around one or more big tables. And so I want to share with you three different opportunities. And my hope and prayer is that at least one of them, maybe two of them, one or two, maybe three of these opportunities to build warmth, the Holy Spirit will prompt in you and you'll get to move forward on to build relationships across generation. The first opportunity to help you at Peachtree build warmth for any church to build warmth is intergenerational worship. Not just multi-generational worship, and we'll talk about the difference in a moment, but intergenerational worship. There was one church that wanted to send a powerful message about how the generations could all come together. And so it was a typical Sunday morning worship service. The adult worship team was on the platform. At the center of the adult worship team on the microphone was a guitar player. He was about halfway through his first song when a teenager came up from the congregation, tapped the adult guitar player on his shoulder, held out his hands, and the adult handed his guitar to the teenager, the adult had a seat. The teenager stood in that place and resumed playing guitar. You can tell I don't play guitar, by the way. Uh, toward the back of the platform, there was a drummer, an adult drummer, drumming. I also don't play drums, as you can tell, but he was drumming. Another student came up from the congregation, tapped the adult drummer on his shoulder. The adult handed his drumsticks over the, to the student. The adult took a seat in the congregation and the student resumed drumming. The same thing happened with the keyboardist and the bass player and all the vocalists until it was an entirely student-led worship experience because students had come and taken the place of adults. And the congregation, the worshiping congregation was going crazy. They were loving it. And then the pastor got up to preach. He stood at the podium in the center. He got a couple paragraphs into his sermon when a voice from backstage yelled, if you really mean it, you got to go all the way. 
and a teenager came from backstage, tapped the adult senior pastor on his shoulder. The adult senior pastor had a seat in the front row, and the teenager resumed the sermon. Now, as much as I love that image of, of teenage empowerment, if I could wave a wand, what I'd actually love to see is adults and students leading worship music together, adults and students being ushers together, adults and young people preaching together, being involved in small groups together. That's ultimately what it means to be a warm church, to build sticky faith. Now, there's a difference between intergenerational worship and multi-generational worship. Multi-generational worship is when we're all together in the same room. Like we're sharing space, which I know these days we don't get to do very often, depending on where you live. Um, but just remember, when we used to be, in the, be able to be in the same room, sharing the same space, that's multi-generational worship, sharing the same space. Intergenerational worship isn't just sharing space, but it's sharing life. And so Peachtree Church, when you are able to resume worshiping together, when there are going to be young people in your midst, I want to ask you, for those of you over 30, how are you going to reach out to those young people? During the time of passing of the peace, which I know is such an important part of your worship service rhythms, what would it look like for you adults to reach out to someone under 30 and you who are under 30 to reach out to an adult? get to know somebody in those brief moments and then continue the conversation when worship service ends. If you're quarantined right now and you're watching this, this online, I invite you, are there other generations in your house who can join you to watch it together? Is there somebody you could text right now or call or reach out to from another generation and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Even though we're not together, I'm thinking about you. If we're going to be a warm community here at Peachtree, if we're going to instill a lasting faith in the next generation, intergenerational worship, sharing life is key. There's a second opportunity, though, to build warmth, and that is creating a new five-to-one ratio. Creating a new five-to-one ratio. Now, I didn't make up that term. That term comes from my friend, Chap Clark, who's done so much amazing study and research on adolescence. He said so many brilliant things, but I think one of the most brilliant things he said is that if we're gonna create a warm community, if we're gonna build sticky faith, then we need a new five to one ratio. What do we mean by that? Well, if I was to show up, say your children's ministry, your student ministry, I bet your volunteers, your pastors, your small group leaders would say, you know what, we want one adult, let's just say hypothetically for every five young people. We don't want small group leader for every five young people. What we're saying out of our research is what if we reverse that? It's not just one adult investing in five young people, but it's five adults investing in each young person. I'm not talking about small group leaders. I'm talking about adults who, as we say to our teenagers and our family, adults who are on your team, adults who are praying for you, adults who show up for you at a basketball game, or a play that you're in, or an important tournament. Adults who you can go to, not if you struggle, but when you struggle. And so for those of you who are watching this over 30, I'm wondering, do you know a young person where you can be part of that five-person team, part of that safety net for that young person? Do you know a teenager? Can you reach out to them today, this week, perhaps? And for those of you who are in belong communities, which sounds just amazing, 
Maybe a, a belonging community on its own could reach out to a teenager or a young adult or more than one and invite to be your guest sometime over dinner or over a meeting and they can share their testimony and what God is doing in and through them. And you can start building relationships, even young people, with your belong communities. If you don't know a teenager or young adult, but you want to reach out to the pastoral team at Peachtree, they would love to connect you. They would love to invite you to pray for some of the young people in this church, maybe even volunteer, maybe even get involved in more intentional discipleship or think about ways who in your normal rhythms, in your normal schedule, you could reach out to a young person and make a difference, not just in their life, but in your own. And if you're watching this and you're a parent or a step-parent, a guardian, I want to think with you about how you can create this five-person team for each of your kids or your stepkids. That's been a big goal for my husband Dave and myself with our three kids. And what we did with each of them when they turned 13 is we really tried to cement this idea that you have a team around you, oh teenagers. And so let's just talk about what we did with, with Nathan. Um, our, our oldest of the three. When he turned 13, we went to him and we said, you know what, bud, we would like to just help you know that there's this amazing team of adults, especially men who are cheering for you and who are there for you. Who are some men before you turn 13, the summer before you turn 13, who are some men you'd like to get to know better? And so he named five men. He actually named the five men that we thought he would name. And we reached out to all of those men and we said, hey, would you sometime spend some time with Nathan? Do something with him the summer before he turns 13. We don't care if you take him on a hike or if you take him to Costco, it doesn't matter. Just do something and share some life advice and some spiritual advice. I'm gonna show you a picture now that's one of my favorite pictures of, of these five men with Nathan. This is a picture that Roger took. Roger's one of the five who took Nathan golfing uh, before he turned 13. That's a good thing, Dave and I don't golf, so this was a whole new experience for Nathan to go golfing with Roger. There's a lot of things I love about this picture, but one of my favorite things is if you look in the upper left-hand corner, you can see Roger's thumb. Because Roger, at the time that he took this picture, was 72 years old. Roger was one of the men Nathan wanted to spend time with before he turned 13. So Nathan spent time with all of these men. Um, and, and this is another picture that I'm gonna show you of Nathan with our, at the time, junior high pastor, Perry, who was another one of the five men that Nathan spent time with. Perry took Nathan out uh, frisbee golfing and then went out for a Coke. And what we asked all five of these men to do is share some life advice and some spiritual advice with Nathan. And then they wrote it down and we put all that together in a box. We presented it to Nathan when he turned 13. Shortly after that, Nathan was being baptized. Um, at our church, in our tradition, we do baptisms uh, later in life, infant dedication, baptism later. And so Nathan was being baptized. And we said to him, you know, bud, in, in the spirit of this team of adults who are with you, we'd love to have you in the water, not just with the pastor, but maybe with us as your family, as well as you know, one or more of these amazing team members God's brought to you. And Nathan, at age 13, he looked at me and he put his hand on his chin and he said, oh, mom, mm, I just don't know which of my five to invite. Can I tell you what that meant to me as a parent, that this was Nathan's big tension, is which of these five amazing men should he invite to be part of his baptism? And so this is a picture of Nathan with Jeff, our pastor, and Roger, the 72-year-old, and myself and my husband, um, and then our two daughters got in the act also. 
celebrating this amazing community that was surrounding Nathan at age 13 when he got baptized. I invite you to think about who, which young person could I be part of a five-person team for them. And if you're an adult who especially is parenting or mentoring a young person, to think about how do I create this five-person team around them. There's a third opportunity that Peachtree has to build warmth, to become a sticky faith community. And that is to mobilize your senior adults. I hear that you call them grand adults. I think that's awesome. There's just a special tenderness between teenagers and, and senior adults. I wish I had a more researchy word for it, but there's just a special tenderness or warmth between teenagers and senior adults. I remember being in Iowa and I had spoken on intergenerational relationships and a woman came up to me afterwards. She had to be in her 80s. And she said, well, here's what I do at my church is that I get, from my church, I get a list of all the students who are graduating from high school every year, and I write them all letters. And I tell them, they don't have to write me back, but I'm just thinking about them, praying for them, whether they're going to college, military, workforce, whatever it is, I want them to know that I'm on their team. And I thought, what an amazing thing that she did here. You know, got these names and addresses and wrote every student one letter. So the next day, I actually was speaking in the same town in Iowa, and I thought, I want to tell this story. So I told the story of this amazing woman who wrote everybody in her church, every young person when they graduated, one letter that they, to let them know that she was thinking about them and praying for them. Somebody, while I was speaking, raised his hand and kind of interrupted me, so I called on him. And he said, you know what, I, 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 was, I was here last night, and I saw who you were speaking to afterwards. I actually know that woman. She's in my church, and she doesn't just write one letter to each of those students. She writes each of those young people every week from graduation to Christmas. Every week, she writes each of those young people. Wow. Now, that's quite a calling. That might be more than you're up for right now. But I love that spirit that she showed of how can I use my time, my energy, whatever it might be, my resources, my relationships, to build a relationship with a young person. Senior adults, this is such a special time for you to build relationships with those who are under 30. They love you, they wanna be with you. So I invite you to take a courageous step and get to know somebody a little bit younger. As we wrap up, um, I wanna fast forward with my son, Nathan. Uh, at age 13, you heard what I said about the five adults who invested in him, these five adults who were on his team. Well, he graduated from high school a year ago. And for his graduation party, because we want to be a warm community, because we want to build these relationships, um, we did his graduation party a little bit different. We asked him, you know, there were a lot of people there, but we asked him, Bud, you know what, we'd love to have a time of prayer. And, and would you pick five people? He picked all men, but we, I said, would you pick five people um, who can pray for you? And that will be a, an important part of our graduation celebration as a community. And so he picked um, these five men. And you might see over on the far right that Roger's one of them. Five years later, Roger's still investing in Nathan. So that was when Nathan graduated from high school. Um, when he turned 18, 
we wanted to do something, again, that symboled community for him. And, and he's a volleyball player. All three of our kids are volleyball players. You can't tell, but I'm six feet tall, and our kids are all tall. Um, and they're tall and athletic, but not very aggressive. So volleyball's perfect because you get in trouble when you touch the other team in volleyball. So it works great for the Powell kids. And so we got him this volleyball, and um, we drove it all around Los Angeles and asked the adults who had invested in Nathan to sign this volleyball. Um, I'm going to show you a picture of it now, and you can see that my husband and I also signed on the left, and our two daughters signed. Krista uh, signed first and wrote the, the better sibling, and then her younger sister, Jessica, got a hold of the pen and wrote Jessica the real better sibling. That's just how things roll sometimes in the Powell family, okay? Um, Nathan in March, because of the pandemic, he actually, he left his college in Houston and came back to Southern California for spring break. Um, and then the college closed. They said everybody's going to online learning. And so Nathan didn't have a chance. No, no undergrad student at this college had a chance to go back to Houston and collect their belongings. And that volleyball went with him to college. And so that volleyball is sitting in that dorm room. It's several months since then in, in summer and Nathan still hasn't been back to his dorm room. Um, the school's gonna pack up his stuff, but I was talking to him a week or two ago and saying, well, you know, is there anything you're kind of concerned about? Like, you know, they, they might not pack it up all correctly and have it waiting for you. Like, you know, what's valuable to you? And he said, well, it's just clothes. I don't really care about that and some books. I don't really care that much about those. Those are replaceable. But then he looked at me and he said, but that volleyball's there. I wanna get that volleyball back. I want him to have that volleyball back too, because when he goes back to school, prayerfully um, this fall, in person, in Houston. I want him to see that volleyball every day as a reminder of the amazing adults, adults like you who are investing in young people and becoming the warm community that every young person needs. And I know that Peachtree you want. Thank you and blessings.